Welcome to Real Presence Live. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Emily Alita. And we are broadcasting this morning from Sioux Falls, hot and humid Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, we are in the throes of summer and we're glad to have you with us. We're also excited to have with us here in studio um, a local artist from the Sioux Falls area, Darwin Wolf. Hi, Darwin. Hello. It's good to have you here. Um, Darwin, would you mind maybe just start start by telling us um, a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, that sort of thing. All right. Um, married man, happily married for 30 years, uh, son at SDSU, daughter in human resources here in Sioux Falls, uh, granddaughter starting uh, preschool at St. Catherine Drexel wow. in the fall. Good, good life. Very happy. Uh, raised in Dolan and Aberdeen. Got my art degree uh, at Northern and we've been here for about 30 years now. Um, I've been sculpting professionally since 2003. And uh, some of my work includes St. Therese and Children at St. Therese Catholic Church here in town. Uh, the Crucifix at Holy Name in Watertown. The 10-foot bronze icon at Avera Central Offices. Uh, St. Joseph and Students at St. Joseph Indian School in Chamberlain. And uh, the Monsignor Mac McEnany Memorial at O'Gorman. And then I've also done several military and historical pieces. So along the way, you've as you're becoming a professional, um, you had other careers at the same time. I think when so we got here, my my wife and I, no kids yet, got here in 2002. I think you were working for um, a, a local bank at the time. Yeah, I took 15 years off uh, right out of college. Uh, I was doing really well in the gallery scene on both coasts, getting into some great shows, exhibitions. Um, and that's great for the resume and uh, building your credibility, but it doesn't really pay the bill. So I quit sculpting for 15 years. Mm. And then, uh, and that was really a great OJT, on-the-job training, for how to run a business. Mm. Um, so then when I did come back, it was like, oh, my goodness, what would I have done as a sculptor had I not had that experience uh, uh, and how to keep a business alive? Uh, so it was actually a good a really good 15 years and then in 2003 um, I was uh, offered a commission from St. Therese just out of the blue hadn't done a large sculpture in my life and then I won a commission uh, through a competition at Avera for their corporate offices and it forced me to quit my day job and I haven't uh, I haven't gone back so that's really what the impetus was for you to start sculpting full-time professionally was these opportunities that came knocking at your door? Yeah, um, because number one, um, I've got I've to pay the bills. I've got to sure. you know, provide for a family. And, and I, it, it was looking like it was never going to happen. I was going through a midlife crisis that was hor just horrible. And uh, all of a sudden, things just started to roll. Mm -hmm. What do you, with that right there, Darwin, when you step back and think about that, uh, midlife crisis that's never going to happen then all of a sudden then all of a sudden things just start to roll <laughs> I'm a real Holy Spirit guy and not necessarily gifts of the Holy Spirit but just God's presence God here with us kind of thing um, and uh, we were meeting the right people moving into the, choosing the right house to rent and the right house to move and and and, and buy and the right people that we met, everything just fell together so incredibly that I would have to be just an absolute fool <laughs> that it was just coincidence. And that's always my thing, too. Uh, coincidence is just the Holy Spirit being anonymous. You know, I, I, it, it, it was just so wonderful, and it still happens all the time. Mm-hmm. 
What was your connection then, especially as you were kind of coming back into the scene of sculpting, uh, coming out of a midlife crisis, which is, I'm sure, in some way was a bit of a crisis of faith or trying to understand Mm, kind of what God wanted you to do. So as you started to engage more with your art, how was that a connection for you to prayer or what was kind of the work in your heart that God was doing amidst that? Sculpting is lonely. Everything I do... Uh, is solitary. Mm. Uh, I don't sculpt. Well, I, more and more I'm sculpting in public, but even in public, I'm, I'm kind of closed off within myself sculpting. And every day has to be your best day. I can never have a bad day sculpting because if I do, the next day I see it, I got to go back, tear it all off and start over again. Mm. So this is like many professions, you cannot have a bad day. Mm. Um, and so I would begin to get kind of torn up and uh, I would agonize the agony and the ecstasy. I would, I would be paranoid and fearful. And there'd be three, four days in a row where I just couldn't get myself to sculpt because I was afraid I couldn't do as well as I did the previous day. The self-doubt would creep in. And I would forget so many times that if I would just focus, come Holy Spirit, come. So bad at that. Um, I, have to, you know, I have, to, have to not sound like I'm, I've got the perfect pill for this because I don't. Um, but if I can remember you now that it's not just me, um, all the greats, the, the greatest of all time, the, the Renaissance great master sculptors, um, they were tremendously faithful Catholics and tremendously spiritual. And uh, I, I really believe everybody has their doubts <coughs> like that. And that's what got them through, too. Hmm. So how did you, I, I want to back up a, a little bit to the, the passion for bronze. You said that the commission for St. Therese um, was the first, like, whatever. Right, life-size. Life-size life yeah. that you'd ever done. Where'd you find, how'd you discover your passion for bronze sculpting? That was the first uh, Holy Spirit directional thing in my career. I wanted to go to USD to study, wound up at Northern, didn't want to be there because I grew up in Aberdeen, so I wanted to get out of there in the worst way, but the sculpture department uh, kind of popped up. I, I uh, uh, was going to you know, go there my first year, save some money, and then transfer out, and uh, they require a sculpture class. So I took a sculpture class. I was there as a painter. I mean, I wanted to learn to paint, and uh, I saw... Uh, bronze being cast for the first time. I got to work in bronze for the first time. And it, all the heat and smoke and excitement, and it's, it's just so unnerving. And there's so much adrenaline in the whole thing in, in casting. I really got hooked. And all of my painting ideas just dried up. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, an accidental sculptor. Uh, I had no intention of being a sculptor. And even today, when I'm hauling around these heavy, heavy pieces of equipment and sculptures I keep telling myself you could have been a painter <laughs> <laughs> the brush is so much lighter <laughs> yeah uh, but so so having not gone on to another school uh, was kind of that first holy cow there's something working here can you give I, I'm dying to know give us a brief summary of how something goes from start to finish. I mean, I know there's a ton of steps, but when you're mm-hmm. saying heat and smoke, 
What's what is hap- what is happening? Well, What's this heavy equipment? <laughs> it's all coming out of I've Darwin's never, head. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, it really is difficult to try to explain, but you start with a clay sculpture, whether it's right. two, two feet tall or ten feet tall, and then a mold has to be taken from that sculpture to reproduce it. Okay. From the original mold, a wax reproduction is created. The wax is sectioned up into workable pieces, 22 inches by 22 inches or so. And then each piece of wax is submerged in concrete. The wax is burned out. Bronze is poured back in at 2,000 degrees. Oh, my gosh. Bust the concrete. Now you have a whole bunch of pieces of the sculpture that get welded back together. And then the, the welds are ground down and finished called chasing. That's the fine art of foundry work. Uh, and then we put a uh, chemical and heat treatment on to get the right patina and coloration, seal it up with a heavy-duty lacquer, and it's good for 2,000 years. Easy peasy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Wait, folks, hold on. Folks, if you could have just seen Emily, as Dar was talking, her mouth is a like, is amazing. Her jaw's on the floor. Like, well, oh, my gosh. And, and the, the fun part only lasts like 15, 20 minutes because you're working to get all these molds done and then the wax and then da, 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 da. And then you get to pour bronze, and each bronze pour is probably 100 to and, uh, about 100 pounds at a time. And... It takes 15 minutes and it's over. It's like, oh, all but this it, but work it's for this such moment. a rush because you're dealing with 2,000 degrees, two feet away from your body. You get a sunburn wow. through the leathers and the protective gear every time. Seriously. Yes, it's very, very hot. But it's, that's the exciting part. You've got to be smart about it. I've never had a serious injury. And the, th- the, the theory is that if a drop of bronze the size of a dime splashed up into the air and hit someone in the hand, it would go straight through without stopping. <gasps> so it is hot. But I've never seen that theory tested. Oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Yeah, we're very, very, very cautious in what we do. But what's kind of cool is the, the owner of the foundry here knows that I've got experience. So he lets me come in and pour with them on a regular basis, uh-huh. especially on my own work because I contract them to do my bronze work now. I used okay. to do it all myself. Okay. Um, and even he says, it's been 20 years, 30 years, whatever. And every time we fire up the furnace and we pour bronze, it's still a rush. Wow. I just am thinking you must have an incredibly disciplined personality because as you're going through all of these different steps, for me, I would think, I would, uh, I don't know if I'm patient enough. It's, it's, is it just a discipline and patience? And how has that affected your faith? Well, the patience aspect, for me now, I only do the sculpting portion. So once it gets to a finished clay model, it moves on. So my portion is... Um, uh, probably a month to two months to do the scale model, a small one, then up to six months to do a large scale. And I have to take it piece by piece. So maybe this foot is a sculpture. This huh. hand is a sculpture. If I treat it that way, I not only do a better job on that sculpture, mm-hmm. I can have these little finish lines of completion that get me through to the big, long, long uh, finish line. When you're sculpting a human person, yeah. what's your favorite part to sculpt face hands hands and face really um why hands hands because uh hands really do show the person if you can't see the face and even when you can see the face because as a eucharistic minister i used to to look and i still do i look at people's hands when they come up and i can tell whether they're a farmer whether they're a banker whether they're an artist or or some somewhere in that kind of a field because some are just thick and and, and massive hands, and they're the really delicate, fine hands. And um, 
the little kids, children's hands. I'm always looking at hands to see the personality. Scars on the back of the hands, what the fingers look like. Are they gnarly, beat up? Uh, it really does say a lot about the person. And trying to capture that is a lot of fun, too, because the, yeah. anatomy, the anatomy is really cool in hands. And then the face, of course. I can, I can really focus on a face and pull out the features, and, uh, and those portraits are a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, this is just so interesting. We need to take a quick break, uh, but don't go anywhere because we will absolutely be back with more questions for local artist Darwin Wolf. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together toward success. SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, I'm Linda Baldwin with the Mustard Seed Catholic Store here in Sioux Falls. We are now open, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday and 9 to 5 on Saturdays. We're located at 3709 South Grange, just west of Costco. We stock Catholic books, artwork, saint medals, rosaries, Bibles, parish supplies, plus mystic monk coffee and gifts for those special occasions like baptisms, First Communion, and Confirmation. I look forward to your visit to the Mustard Seed Catholic Store here in Sioux Falls. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back. You are listening to Real Presence Live. I am Emily Leadham. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald. And we are sitting down with Darwin Wolf, a local artist in the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Uh, we were just chatting about the process of sculpting, and one of your favorite things uh, to sculpt, you said, are hands and then faces. When you're sculpting a face, Darwin, is that's got to feel really intimate. I mean, I know it's not a, a, a real human that you're standing in front of, but you are really in the face and creating something. Is that an intimate process? Yeah, it really is, um, especially when most of the people that I'm sculpting uh, well, none of the people I'm sculpting are still alive. I've only yeah. sculpted one live subject. And even then, it was of him 40 years previous. So I, I have to really study photos and hope that I get it right. But, but in the end, I know that person's face better than anyone ever has mm-hmm. because I know how deep the crease is below the nose and the smile and the, the, the chin cleft and uh, how deep the, the eye sockets are. And uh, so... Yeah, it's very, very intimate, and you know I can pick up scars, or if uh, in certain situations a vein pops out of their forehead, and you know it just it's it's interesting. Do you, you ever go ahead? You just recently um, had a statue unveiled, and and you were talking about the challenge of the face uh, because this was a an athlete, a, a runner, and a, and a coach, um, and and because there were there was hardly any body fat. You talked about the challenge, and I know there's some proprietary process you developed, which <laughs> I won't make you uh, reveal on the air. But 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 to to try to make it look l- like lifelike, but not like decrepit either. Yeah, he had so little body fat that. 
his musculature in his face would show through when he smiled. And I had to find a way to soften that a little bit without having it look like a, uh, an anatomy study, you right, know, a skinless yeah. anatomy study. I, it almost did when I started, and then I did smooth that down. It turned out really well. When you're sculpting a face, I just uh, the only thing that I can think of is God the Father and this kind of imagery of him as creator. <laughs> Has that do you feel like that's united you to his heart in some way? And I also know you're very pro-life. So what's the connection <sighs> there in you just yeah, beholding humanity? First off, it, it, uh, Michelangelo did me a great favor way back years ago. <laughs> He's the best. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He is. He's what the greatest guy. of all time, yeah. <laughs> He did everybody a great favor, as far as sculptors, and he said, only God creates, we just copy. The rest of us just copy. Mm. And so that takes the pressure off me, because I am a perfectionist, and I have to be. Um, But um, the the creator aspect, I, I have to just really back off on that, because it's so intimidating as it is. Um, Our church teaches that when sculpting a biblical figure, uh, this is not just a representation, but a presence, huh. much like the presence in the Eucharist, but to a lesser degree. Sure. So imagine when I'm sculpting a crucifix. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, every day. Uh, oh, I got to take a deep breath on that one. Even now, uh, it was, it was, that was when I felt like I, was tr- I had truly become a sculptor because I had to... Uh, master the intimidation and the euphoria, because that would come too. Because uh, you know, the, sometimes the Holy Spirit really jazzes you up, and and you want to just go nuts, but you've got to maintain and and uh, keep your wits and not get too full of yourself. And it, the balance is really difficult. So, um, trying not to think of yourself as a creator is the challenge. That's so interesting, because you're really you're participating with God. You're participating in his creation. More like I, like Korchak Zulkowski at Crazy Horse said, uh, I am a tool. And that's the way I feel sometimes because it's hard to believe. It's like, holy cow, I just did that. Yeah. Wow, it looks great. And it's the best face I ever did. And and it's easy to get carried away in yourself. But uh, I, gotta, I do really try to remember that, um, you know, God had a hand in this too. Yeah. And, and, I'm I'm kind of unfit for anything else, so I, I have to make sure that I can maintain a pitch that I can stay with for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Hmm. So how do you, exp- so you talked earlier about every day having to be the best and so on, and the highs and lows, ups and downs, um, and then what you were just saying about uh, the, the making copies, not being the creator. So how do you personally experience God on a daily basis in your work? <sighs> Boy, there are so many ways. Um, and, and you hit me with this question on live radio. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome, no darling. We're friends. That's what friends do. Yeah. Um, how do I experience God on a daily basis in my work? It, I, I kind of mentioned it already a little bit. Um, and it's, it, it's overwhelming. It's not in my work. It's, it's everywhere in my life. Um, I look at the entire world as a nonstop anatomy study. Um, I'll look at someone's face and I'll stare at it and Dawn, my wife, will nudge me and say, you're staring again. <laughs> so yeah, I know I was working because <laughs> God's creation is all around us and 
if I'm stuck on something like, why am I not getting this jawline right? I'll stare at jawlines that night at a reception or at a party or at a, uh, at a concert. And uh, I've had several tense situations where people thought that I was, you know, looking up and down. And, and, uh, and I, I wondered, did, did Michelangelo live like this? <laughs> you know, so it, it's not just while I'm sculpting, but it, it carries out through my entire life that God has given me the blessing and the curse of always looking, always looking to try and make what I'm doing better. Uh, it's kind of a drive that I thank him for. But I'm the, my faith is based on the idea that God's greatest gift is life and the human experience. So it's hard for me to believe that I'm going to live that life, or anybody can, with God having us on puppet strings, you know, mm-hmm. and directing sure. us everywhere. And at the same time, I believe that the Holy Spirit is with us and keeps us um, whole and safe and sane. So on one hand, I'm thanking God for my gifts and my skills and, and direction. And on the other hand, it's thanking him for my free will. And sometimes I, I struggle with that. And that's almost a daily thing, especially when I'm working. Um, because did, did, did God just give me this and then let me go with it? Or is God really still here, yeah. you know, using me as a tool? So it's really hard for me to, to, to discern. Yeah, yeah. You had mentioned earlier some of the different sculptures that you've done, the different work that you've done. Would you say there was a difference between the religious pieces? Or how was your experience of doing a religious piece maybe different than doing a human, a human figure um, Historical, or, or, yeah, historical, or yeah, something like that. Is there is there a difference for you? Oh yeah, yeah. the The idea of the presence in the piece. Okay. Um, knowing that there probably is more spiritual presence with me while I'm sculpting. There's more with me in the studio. Uh, so, it's just very difficult to uh, to focus on the subject when I feel like I have a crowd looking over my shoulders in an empty studio. Hmm. Mm. One of my can you talk a little about one of a pe- one of your religious pieces? Um, is your t- I think it's a fountain, mm. and it's, it's Jesus' hands with holes, the, the nail holes, the nail marks in his hands. Can you talk about that? Because we talked about earlier about hands. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the one that I've of your pieces that I immediately thought of. Yeah, that is my answer to uh, um, Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie. I wanted to do the same thing that movie did and tell a story, but in a more um, symbolic way. I combine Christ's hands after the crucifixion with the basin from the Last Supper. Mm. So time-wise, it's, it, it's, a, it's skewed. And it is the true result of the crucifixion uh, in Jesus' statements of, you know, if, if, if I... If you, if you don't let me wash your feet, you, you're not going to be with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that was the message I wanted to get across. And the water actually flows through the nail holes yeah. into the basin. And, and there's a pump inside the bronze, which is hollow. And it's a continuously flowing mm-hmm. fountain. And it's that cleansing um, uh, rebirth that he gave us mm-hmm. uh, symbolized through the water and his hands. Mm-hmm. So the nuances, you talked about... Um, after the face, the hands tell something about the person. So, how did you do Jesus, Jesus Christ's hands? Hmm. Huh. 
I used the hands I see the most every day. That's all I could do to really try and get as much subtlety as possible. I looked at my own hands. And, and it, it never did, looking back on it, it surprises me, it never did give me that Messiah complex like I thought I was the great creator. It, it was just those are what were available to me, so I stared at my own hands. Uh, and let me correct something from a, a few minutes back. I know I'm not supposed to be just thinking about people's hands when I'm a Eucharistic minister. My mind should be in the Eucharist. Um, but uh, but I think we should also have our minds on those people coming up to receive. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. So I, I, I don't want to give the impression that I'm preoccupied when I'm when you walk up to me, if you hear this, and I'm saying, oh, look at those hands. That's not, <laughs> that's not it. I'm, I'm really into it. <laughs> that's not what you're du- thinking Duly about. noted. Duly yeah. noted. But I think that's actually really beautiful <clears throat> that you looked at your own hands. And I, it immediately takes me to, Lord, make me your hands and feet. And and this invitation that Christ would kind of overtake us, that he would become so deeply part of us that when I look at Chris Bergwald, I, I see Jesus Christ. When I look at Darwin Wolf, I see Jesus Christ. That's actually the great commission, I think, as, as disciples. Um, favorite sculpture and hardest sculpture? Of mine? Yes. This is going to sound really cheesy, but my favorite sculpture is always the one I'm working on now. Really? It is. Because it's my... Most recent chance to improve my mm. skills and show what I can do and put this out there for my patrons and audience and people who appreciate it. Um, Coach Greeno was my favorite. Pilot was my favorite. There, uh, there are so many sculptures that I have to be passionate about right now. It is my favorite every time I'm doing it. And what was the other one? Hardest. Hardest. Is there one that you look back on in your... How, how long have you been doing this? 15? Uh, about almost 2003. 20. Okay, yeah. so 20. Almost 20, yeah. Any one that sticks out as, man, it was just really a challenge? Oh, boy. Confidence-wise, um, St. Therese was the most challenging because I felt like I just couldn't get it. And I, I started over several times. Really? Um, that was a very difficult one. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, technically the most difficult, I just finished uh, the monument to the first female fighter pilots, and it's all the gear from helmet mm. to comms to G-suit to harness. It, 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 I went way over my sculpting uh, time allotment on that thing, and I probably made 10 bucks an hour, 5 bucks an hour doing it. It, huh. it was so much time, but uh, technically that was the greatest, the greatest wow. challenge. Thanks for being here with us today, Darwin. Sure. Uh, I think it's just beautiful to hear you talk about, as a Catholic artist, how your faith informs your art, but then how your art also, in its way, informs your faith. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. beautiful. Great. So thanks for for being with us today. Thanks for having me. You betcha. And up next, we are going to talk about the life of one of the greatest apostles. Stay with us on Real Presence Live. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 